welcome everybody. Dave Therry and New Hope Radio. Happy to spend this time with you today as we kind of take a break from the events of the world and zoom in on God's Word. We need to do that on a daily basis. Zoom right in. Get the Word of God. You know what it does? It replenishes the soul. And that's what we want to do today. I want us to see today that God, the creator of life, he also made a path for those that he created that we would follow that path. And what's so good about the path? I'll tell you. The path is for the health and the growth of an individual, a family, even a nation. That if everybody followed this path, everybody would be better off. To stay on the path is to find blessing. But, uh uh-oh, to veer off the path is to find trouble. We're going to seek to answer a question today. What's wrong with the Ten Commandments? We're going to talk about them, and you figure out, is anything wrong with these? What's a commandment? A commandment is a rule to be strictly observed. And it's usually given for the benefit of people. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, what we're going to do, we're going to work backwards from ten to one. We're going to start off with the last one and work our way back to number one. We'll end up with the author. We'll begin with what he said, and then we're going to end with who said it. And I think it'll really change our perspective on God's commandments toward us. So let's begin with number 10, okay? You know what it basically says? Don't want what someone else has. I don't see anything wrong with that, do you? Don't want what someone else has. Now, we find that originally in the Old Testament, In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 17, where God said, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or female servant, or his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me, right? Do you want anybody coveting your stuff, your people? God is saying, well, don't do it. Jesus even said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So there's good wisdom. Good wisdom from the Lord. Listen, stuff isn't going to make you happy, so don't covet other people's stuff. I think that's a good commandment. I think we're getting off off on the right foot. How about you? Number nine, here's another one. Do not lie. Now, let me ask you, does that make sense? Do you like it when people lie to you? No. Well, don't lie to others. In verse 16 of Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's that simple. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to another person about another person. 
What good does that accomplish? How does that help any relationship, right? What benefit comes from lying? I, I don't think there's any benefit. This is what fathers ought to teach their children. We got to be careful that we don't have, that we don't raise up a generation of liars. We don't want that. Why? That's going to make the whole generation dysfunctional. Okay? So, I don't know. I think we got two good commandments right off the bat. Don't want somebody else's stuff. And don't lie to people. I think we're getting off to a good start. Number eight. Do not take what is not yours. That makes sense? Verse 15. Very simply put. You shall not steal. Anybody got a problem with that? Yes, I know who does. Thieves. <laughs> you know what I call thieves? The laziest people in the world. They don't want to go out and work for it. They want to take it from the one that did. That's laziness. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. In other words, get a job. Go to work, performing with his own hands what is good, and this is why, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Oh, so now we have, there's two reasons to work. Number one, to provide for yourself, and number two, to help someone else who's in a bad spot, someone else who might be struggling, okay? So working does two things. It provides for self and provides for others, and that is just the opposite of taking from others. That's what stealing is, taking from others what doesn't belong to you. You're taking what belongs to someone and making it belong to you. And that's a breakdown of society. That's a breakdown of your life, and you end up in jail if you get caught. And I hope you do. All right? Okay, number seven, working our way backwards, 10987. Do not break your marriage vow. This one will preserve any society, oh, and any family. Verse 14. Watch how simple these are. You shall not commit adultery. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You shall not commit adultery. Now, who's got a problem with that? I know who does. The adulterer. That's who. But Jesus said, look. He said, don't even look. Don't even look around. Don't even look at them. That's what Jesus said. He said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. And what he's saying is that the heart is as important as the life, as the body. And just because you don't do it, if you entertain it, you're still defiling your heart. And if you defile your heart, you're going to defile your life because we live life from the heart. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. So you don't get near it. You don't say, well, how close can I get to the fire before I get burned? That's not too smart. So sometimes stay away from the water cooler. Stay out of the lunchroom. Whatever it takes. Don't put yourself in a place of easy compromise. Because I'll tell you what, if you get too close, you're going to fall into the trap. Oh, yes, you will. And you know what? It destroys everything. 
It destroys the hearts of children, if there are any. It destroys the hearts of family. It destroys the hearts of those involved. Adultery is a sin against the soul, Solomon said. Wow. So don't play with fire. Like I said, there are places that are off limits. Don't go there. Just don't go there. You'll be safe. You'll be safer. If he's there or she's there, and you know there's something going on, avoid it. Go in the other, go eat your lunch under the stairs. <laughs> it, it's safer under the stairs. It's safer in a closet than it is in the lunchroom. Seriously. You see, this is all God's grace. You know what he's done? He's given us rules to live by to preserve yourself, your family, even your nation. These, these are divine prescriptions. Like these prescriptions from Dr. God. He says, listen, these things will keep you healthy and they'll keep you whole. Working backwards from number 10, number 6, verse 13 of Exodus 20. Do not take an innocent life. God said it like this. Do not murder. I know some Bibles say thou shalt not kill, but the word kill means to murder. Murder is taking an innocent life. And why is that such a harmful sin? Because every person is made in the image of God. Everyone. Murder is a wrong, wrongful act. It's an intentional taking of an innocent life. It's not self-defense. It is not warfare. It's nothing out of life. Stealing somebody's life and destroying it so it ceases to exist. And God is saying, that's not right. That will destroy any nation, any family. Wherever there are gatherings of people, nobody wins. Number five, respect your parents. Now, any parent would agree, this is a good one. In verse 12, Honor your father and mother. It's that simple. See, when you when you think about the Ten Commandments, right, they're like right to the point. You don't have to dissect them and analyze them. and it, You just read them. Just read them for what they are. So God says, honor your father and mother. And why does he say that? That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now he's talking to ancient Israel, but in principle... It applies to all people. Honor your parents. You know, your parents will always be your parents until you get to heaven. Then they won't be your parents anymore. But age doesn't determine if they're still your parents. As long as they brought you into the world, they're your parents. And what this will do is this will prosper you. Your days will be prolonged. There's a blessing for those who honor their parents. Adam Clark, I think he lived like in the 1800s, he said, For a considerable time, parents stand, as it were, in the place of God to their children. And therefore, rebellion against their lawful commands has been considered as rebellion against God. You know, there's some truth to that. Like, parents are like the authority. They're the God-given authority over children. 
So let's look at it like this. To honor your parents is to honor God. And to be mean and cruel to your parents is to be mean and cruel to God. God established the family. He established the authority of the family through the parents. The Apostle Paul said, Fathers, you still have a responsibility. He said, Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Parents are not to be dictators over their children. Don't exasperate them. I think the King James says, Don't provoke them. Don't push their buttons. Don't say, You know, oh, I'm your parent, so you do what I say and don't ask questions. That doesn't help. That doesn't help them. Don't treat them in such a way that it causes them to rebel. Maybe there are kids that are rebellious today because their parents made them that way. So this honoring, it goes both ways. That children should honor their parents. But parents need to respect their children as human beings. And I'm not talking about three-year-olds. I'm talking about, you know, teenagers, young adults, Don't push their buttons, especially when they're at an age where they're trying to find who they are. That Those teenage years can be difficult. It's like, who am I? And they they need parents to lead them and help them discover who they are, not push them down and not push their buttons. So, parents, we don't provoke them, okay? Also, like I said, I don't think the age of parents has anything to do with it. Parents are parents because they brought the kids into the world. That settles it. Okay. All right. Number eight, working back. I mean, verse eight, working back from 10. This is not number eight. This is verse eight. This is number four. Here's a good one. Learn to rest. You know, it was a commandment for God, from God to take a break. Did you know that? He said it like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, holy means set apart, unique. The Sabbath day for the ancient Jew was a Saturday. It was a day they were not to go to work. It was a day they rested. Even the animals got to rest. The plow animals, they got to rest. Get that yoke off them and give them a break. And it's a day of reflection on God. So we need to rest physically. We need to rest spiritually. We need to rest emotionally. We need to rest. God didn't create us to work seven days a week. And you can thank the Lord for a day off. Because before God, I don't think people got a day off. You work seven days a week. What a drag that was. So God comes on the scene with his commandments and says, no, I want you to take a day off. I want you to rest. Now, who's going to complain against that commandment? Who's going to say, I don't want to rest. I want to work my fingers to the bone every day. Really? See, people that have an issue with God's commandments don't know them. They don't know them. They're just foolish in their heart. But if you stop and think about them and read them, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And then when you understand what they mean, and then you're led to who they came from. And you say, oh, that's God. Oh, 
I see him differently now. Now I like him because his commandments are good. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath day, like I said, was Saturday. You just kind of chill. You relax. The Jewish people were the first people to get a day off from work. You can thank the Lord for that. And what did that rest do? It demonstrated faith in God. I trust God and I'm not going to work today. He'll provide. And the body needs a rest. Remember in the wilderness when God sent them out to gather manna? He said, listen, on Friday you can get twice as much because Saturday, no gathering. You get a day off. And some believed and some didn't. And some still went out on Saturday and they gathered manna and it turned to worms. That was no good. But those that gathered twice as much on Friday, they're like, oh, I like this idea. Extra on Friday, I can sleep in on Saturday. I like that commandment. We all need a day of rest. You know, God himself rested, right? In six days, God worked, and on the seventh day, he rested. And what did he do? He he enjoyed his work. He admired his work. He took pleasure in his work. That's what he did. Let me ask you, do you take a day during the week and just take pleasure in life? Take pleasure in God. Take pleasure in the life God has given you, the salvation that he's endowed you with because of his son. We need to do that. Today here in America, we're so busy, and people work seven days a week, and they're not too smart. And what happens is they lose focus on God. I tell business owners, listen, you own your own business? Work smarter, not harder. You don't work on Sundays if you own your own business. You give God his due and let God bless your business, and he will. Do you have the faith to do it? Some do, some don't. Some Christians don't have the faith to trust God. And rather than go to work on Sunday, uh, and rather than go to church on Sunday, oh, no, they go to work. And they work harder, not smarter. That's not too good. Now, today for us, our Sabbath rest, it's not a day, it's a person. It's Christ. We rest in Him. Hebrews 4.3 says, We who have believed enter that rest. We have a spiritual rest that we can rest in Christ. We We rest from any works in order to gain salvation because Jesus did the work for us. And physically, the body and the beast needed need a day of rest. And faith says, I will not work seven days a week. I will work smarter and not hotter. And as far as the day goes, some people, you know, it's like, oh no, man, it's got to be Saturday. That's the day we don't work. Well, Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And what does that mean? It means that all of those things were a representation of Christ, but now that we have Christ, we don't need the representations. 
So there's that day. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It can be any day that you get a day of rest. Okay? The holy days and the feasts, they've all been fulfilled by Christ. You say, well, why do we go to church on Sunday? Well, we go to church on Sunday because Jesus rose on a Sunday, kicks off the beginning of a week, and it speaks of a new life in Christ. And that's why it was agreed that, you know what, let's make Sunday the Lord's Day. Okay? Okay. Commandment number four, do not be irreverent toward God. This is verse seven. See, now we're getting into the person of God. If you like the other commands that have to do with daily living, now we're going to look at the author of who wrote those commands. He said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And what does it mean in vain? It means a false oath or to use his name. If you had to swear an oath using the name of God, then you were probably untrustworthy when you didn't swear. <laughs> you know, I mean, do you, you know, people that say, no, honest to God, I'm telling the truth. Well, that means other times you weren't telling the truth. Don't use God's name in vain. Don't use it irreverently. It's not a curse word. It's not something that we throw around. It demands respect. Psalm 111 says, holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. How cool is that? Number two, do not make an image to God or an image of God. This is what God said. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth or beneath the earth or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What is an idol? It's an object of worship. And you know, as people, come on, we got idols all over the world, don't we? Nations all over the world, tribes all over the, all over the world have idols. The Roman Catholic Church that claims to praise Jesus has idols. And, you know, we, mankind has a way of making a shrine to a holy thing and worshiping that. It's what we do. And God said, don't do that. Don't do that. Worship goes to me and me alone. Because you're going to get sidetracked into worshiping an object that is inanimate instead of God who is alive and real. So think about that. There's only one worthy of our worship, and that is the Lord God himself. And this leads us to the author, the first commandment that he gave, worship God alone. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it. Don't forget... In that day, other nations worshipped thousands of gods. And God is distinguishing himself above all the others. He's saying, I'm the one true God. And you shall have no other gods. Come out from them. And you'll have no other gods before me. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. For it is written, and he used, he quoted a commandment. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve 
him only. See, even Jesus himself submitted to the commandments. So I want you to think. Think about the preservation of your life, of your family, and of your nation. Don't covet what someone else has. Don't lie. Don't take what is not yours. Don't parents teach these things to their kids anyway? Why do we take them off the walls in Washington if they make sense? Don't break your marriage vows. Don't take an innocent life. Respect your parents. Learn to rest. That's why I say, what's wrong with the Ten Commandments? Now, if all these commands are helpful and they come from God, then don't be irreverent toward God. Don't make an image to God. Worship God alone and enjoy the grace. This is all the grace of God. God has given us a game plan, a path to follow. Saying you want to be healthy, you want to be wholesome. Here it is right here. Here are 10 directives to guide your life. And if you stick with these 10 directives, you'll have a good life. And you'll have a good family. And you'll have a good society. And you'll have a good nation. And you'll have an awesome relationship with me. That's what God is saying. Do we want that? That's the key. So back to my question. What's wrong with the Ten Commandments? I don't see anything wrong with them. Unless you just want to be a full-time lawbreaker, evil, which, hey, they're out there too. Hey, thanks for coming along today. Hey, let me throw this out there. This Sunday, October 15th, we begin a brand new series, The Story of Us. You don't want to miss it. Get on board. The notes will be online, newhopecc.tv. You can also get the book that goes with the series on Amazon, The Story of Us. And uh, we're going to take it from before the creation, eternity past, all the way to the new creation, the new world, and all the great events in between. And we're going to see Satan's attacks on humanity. Almost every chapter has an attack on humanity. And we need to be aware. We need to wake up and see what's going on. So join me Sunday, October 15th, either in church or online, 10 o'clock, newhopecc.tv, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll see you there.